It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. I'm Adam Ritz, and today we're in Salisbury, Connecticut, on the the campus of the Salisbury School, and we are broadcasting in front of a live studio audience. All right. Wow. That is a great crowd, I'm telling you. Lots of energy. We're happy to be here. And we're happy to bring a public service announcement from uh, the students here at the Salisbury School with a pretty serious social issue. We talk about a lot of uh, social awareness issues on this program. And we bring our first guest, Rex, on with us. Hi, Rex. How are you? Good. You? I'm great. What do you do here on campus at this school? I'm a student. <laughs> okay. And uh, any cur- extracurriculars? Or? I help with the blood drive and student activities. Oh, fantastic. When was the last uh, blood drive? Uh, March. Okay, and how does that, you're like on the board and, uh, or just charities? Help. or I help uh, coordinate it and run it during when the blood drive happens, so I'm there for seven hours. Okay, that's great. A little quick, quick round of applause for the blood drive here. So. Okay, well, we've got a, uh, a recent news story that really uh, means a lot to everybody listening uh, in this room and on the airwaves, our listening audience. This touches everybody's life, and we go now live to the news desk with Rex. Mother of teen killed texting and driving shares message to save others. Thank you, Rex, so much for uh, reading that for the group. Uh, this is a recent story. It's a pretty sad story, but um, the mother of the teen that was killed is, is using this as a platform to help other people. A text message that was sent from her son while he was driving is the last thing on his phone that was retrieved, and it's what ended up taking his life. The text message reads, sounds good, my man. See you soon. I'll And then it stops. It breaks off. That's where he crashed. It only takes a split second to take your eyes off the road when you're looking at your phone to uh, have a drastic tragedy happen. And I've seen it on the roadways. Everybody's seen it on the roadways. Everywhere you drive, the guy, the girl next to you in the car is texting away, checking emails on their little mini computer. And it's, it's such a bad idea. The, the consequences can be so horrible. So we just want to uh, applaud Sharon Height, the mother of Alex, who passed away texting and driving. I want to applaud Sharon Height for uh, this platform. She writes... Please vow to never, never text and drive. In a split second, you could ruin your future, injure or kill others, and tear a hole in the heart of everyone who loves you. So that is your texting and driving public service announcement from the students at the Salisbury School in Salisbury, Connecticut. Give yourselves one more round of applause. Thank you. Socially technical with the Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social. 
technically. The show continues with a special guest. We welcome back to the broadcast, Jeff Saturday. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm uh, proud to announce that you're going to be uh, a regular contributor now to the Adam Rich Show. You're a socially conscious guy involved with a lot of charities and faith and family and football, and now that football's over with, you're officially yeah. retired, uh, <laughs> we thank you for your time to join our broadcast with your broadcasting skills. I appreciate it, man. I'm looking forward to it. This week, I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, Pretty much everybody walking the planet has had some sort of connection to a DUI, a drunk driving story, an accident, maybe even a death. Um, the big story this week with social awareness in my world has been the feds are pushing to move the DUI uh, limit from 0.08 down to 0.05. Um, you know, mathematically, that's not a huge number, but that is a big deal when you look about uh, look at uh, restaurants. You look at how some bars and restaurants make their money on on serving a couple drinks with a with a, a, a dinner and, and a, a guy and his wife out to dinner. Right. You know, that's going to affect tips for waiters and waitresses. It's going to. But you know what? Overall, it's going to save lives. There is a formula involved, and they figured out that if they move it from 0.08 to 0.05, it could save thousands of lives per year. Wow. Um, your thoughts on on this from all angles? Yeah, I, I would say, like you said, I mean, you know, from a, from a, a life and death issue, I. Obviously, it's you know you want to trend in that direction, right? I mean, I, I lost a friend um, to a DUI in high school, and uh, so you, you anytime you can take um, drunk drivers off the road, I think you're going the right direction. I, I do see the other side, though. Like you said, you go out, um, you know, how many bottles of wine have you bought? And, you know, with you and another couple, you know, you and your wife and another couple, you have a couple of glasses of wine. If it's 0.05, what does that do to that? Now you stop doing that. And, um, you know, how does that affect that restaurant business? How does it affect, uh, you know, your, your responsibility as a citizen? Once you have a drink or two, what does that do? Are you 0.05? And um, I know it would affect pretty much anybody who goes out to dinner regularly on a date night. You know, when you get, you know, you're, you're an adult and you're going out with your wife, it's nice to go have a glass of wine. So, mm -hmm. um, but like I said, I mean, that's a tough, it's kind of a tough, uh, um, thing to wrap your head around. Cause it would totally change. Like you said, tipping restaurant businesses, which restaurants can stay open and not, and how much they pay for the alcohol license. And mm -hmm. does, does it justify it now? Vineyards. I mean, you think all the way out, uh, it could have huge ramifications in our country. I'm all about saving lives. Yeah. And I vote, you know, and it's going to take a while for any of this to push through legislation, but we're moving towards a society where it's going to be zero tolerance. Right. It'll be 0 0.001. If you register anything, if you smell like you sat next <laughs> yeah. to a guy that if had If you a, use a hand beer. sanitizer, you might get arrested. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> um, and you know what? That's... It's okay with me. Yeah. Uh, if it saves lives over the course of a year, that's okay with me. But right. I do see, you know, we were joking earlier about our kids. Their kids are going to ask us, Grandpa, tell us yeah. about what life was like when you could go to a tanning bed. Right. When people could smoke. Yeah. And when you could have a glass of wine with a steak at a restaurant. That's right. Yeah. No, every, everything is, is definitely changing. And like you said, when you're trending to the safety issue, um, it's it's really a, a big deal. I, I would say this, though, just thinking about it off the cuff is, um, you know, how much is that going to drive up taxi and car services? Because now it, maybe you still can do them, but you just, you know, car services prices might come down because you'll use a car service instead of driving yourself. And at the end of the day, like you said, protecting lives is, is, the, is the key to it all. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, when you go into big cities, how that affects their business, you know, and, and what, what senators and congressmen end up voting, you really will see yeah. what they really believe, you know, and how, and how, uh, how much that affects it. 
It'll also be interesting to see the other side of the argument that doesn't want this legislation pushed through. If you're arguing not to move it down from 0.08, you're basically arguing for drunk driving. Right. You're supporting drunk driving. That's in that, right. In that case. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's going to be weird. Yeah, you're going to be on the edge. There's no <laughs> doubt. You better come up with some good stats that at 0.08, you can still write a thesis of some point. Because if you, if, you, if you get to that argument and somebody's like, oh, so it's okay to go out and drunk and drive, uh, it's going to be a hard argument to sustain for sure. So Jeff Saturday's no time soon is going to start the movement to move it up back to 0.10. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good where it is. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to make any movements right now. <laughs> All right, well, Jeff, uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, we look forward to having you back to talk about some more issues uh, with, with fitness. Uh, we won't bore, uh, bore you now, but you've lost some t- a ton of weight yeah. since, you, since you've quit playing. I want to learn more about that in a, in a longer segment to be aired later. Uh, and we appreciate your time. We're so excited to have you part of the show now as we move across the country with our national syndication. Thanks, Jeff. I, I appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. This is Penn State head football coach Bill O'Brien, and you are listening to The Adam Rich Show. It's The Adam Rich Show, and I'm Adam Rich. We thank you so much for listening, and this is a follow-up report to uh, a foundation, an initiative that we learned about uh, at Penn State University called Uplifting Athletes, and we are uh, super excited to have the executive director and founder of Uplifting Athletes, Scott Shirley, with us. Hi, Scott. How are you? Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. Scott uh, surely played at Penn State University, wide receiver, when were uh, those years? Uh, 99 to 2003. Okay, so uh, you're still in shape. Could you play right now? <laughs> no, these kids get bigger, stronger, <laughs> faster every year. Well, I'll get to uh, some fun on the field moments with you in a minute, but I want to talk about your foundation. You are, uh, and correct me if I get any of this wrong, you're the founding, uh, the founder of Uplifting Athletes, and um, you founded it while you were a player at Penn State about 10 years ago. Tell us about yeah. this. Yeah, when I was on the team, uh, it was fall of 2002, actually the week we were playing Iowa. I was on my way home from practice one day, and I got a phone call from my mom. It's one of those calls, you know, something's not right. And I, I answered the phone, and sure enough, she was so choked up she could hardly speak. So I pulled into a parking lot uh, while she composed herself, and, and she finally told me that my father had been diagnosed with kidney cancer and was only given six months to live. Um, so, you know, at the time, it didn't really hit me because my father lived a very healthy life. He didn't drink. He didn't smoke. He was a high school baseball coach with over 400 wins, so he was known as a fighter. And I figured we just needed to go get another opinion. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, everywhere else we went in the fall, we were told the same thing, that nothing can be done. Second opinion, third opinion. We were going to all the best medical centers in the Mid-Atlantic region. Finally, in the spring of 2003, uh, we went down to see the top oncologist at Johns Hopkins. And I felt like we were going down there to get an answer. And the doctor doesn't even close the door of the waiting room. He just sticks his head in and says, the reality is there's nothing we can do for you. Go home and enjoy the time that you have. Wow. And uh, you are a member of the team. And... Um you know, I'm going to make this quick because it's how uh, it's processing in my head. But uh, you, at some point, come to terms with this and decide you need to do something about this to give back and create awareness. Or and that's the the really the genesis of, of uplifting athletes. Yeah, exactly. I, we walked out of there, uh, out of that appointment. I felt like we'd really reached the end of the road at that point. That's when it really got real for me. That um, you know nobody else was doing anything about this. So on my way back to Penn State, I called the American Cancer Society, and they explained to me that different cancers are actually different diseases uh, with different treatment protocols. Um, 
you know, so since kidney cancer doesn't typically respond to the standard first-line treatments like chemo or radiation, kidney cancer is not one of their priorities. So now we have all these doctors telling us that there's nothing that they can do. The American Cancer Society is telling us there's nothing that they have chosen to do. Uh, my next call is the Kidney Cancer Association, small group out of Chicago. Um, and they said that's all true, but the bigger challenge is that since it affects fewer than 200,000 Americans, it lacks the financial incentive to make and market new treatments. It's considered a rare disease, and it's been orphaned by the system. And uh, I walked into my apartment that night, and my roommate, teammate, Damone Jones, is sitting on the couch. And, you know, we're 20-year-old college kids at the time, and Damone's playing video games, and he greets me and asks about my day. And I said, you know what? It sucks. 45,000 Americans a year are diagnosed with this disease. They're told they have a 10% chance of living for five years. Nobody's doing anything because they don't, they don't think it's important. Damone looked at me and shrugged his shoulders. He said, well, then why don't we do something? We're Penn State football. He said, if I wipe my butt sideways, it's on the front page of the paper. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's, let's take advantage of the position that we're in and, and share this spotlight that we have with a community that, that would really benefit from having it. Well, you know, on, on the emotional level, uh, uh, condolences, and, and it's so emotional. I'm so sorry to hear about, about your father and what happened 10 years ago. Uh, to move forward and, um, you know, make a positive out of a negative, you really did that. So initially with Uplifting Athletes, what was that first uh, initiative on campus with your team at Penn State? What would you do that year? Yeah, so after Damona and I had that conversation, we started talking about it in the locker room. The team rallied around an idea that we had to hold a summer lifting competition that became known as the Lift for Life. Uh, but what happened next was really, really pretty cool uh, because the benefits are greater than we anticipated. We literally had guys lining up at our lockers saying, hey, I heard what you're trying to do. How can I help? I want to get involved. You know, And this was different than any other community service we'd done. It was planned by an administrator somewhere, and they pulled the van up and told you to put your jersey on. You know, And it was great in the moment, but this was a complete different service learning experience for us because we were actively engaged. We, we had that sense of ownership. As we sat around a table and planned it, we realized that you know, Dave's a supply chain major, so he's working on the logistics. And um, you know, our friend Darius is an accounting major, so he's, you know, the treasurer, and Damone's a, a marketing major, so he's doing the promotions. And it started to feel like we were running our own business, um, taking what we were learning in the classroom with the leadership skills from the field and applying it towards something we were passionate about. And three short months later, we had the first Lift for Life event, uh, which was a, really just a fun-to-watch lifting competition that was in our squad uh, in front of hundreds of fans, uh, lots of media, and really proved our ability to inspire patients with hope. So then uh, the next day, you wake up and say, we got to do this again. we got to keep this going. What would you do the next year? How many months went by before the next event? Did it become an annual event at that moment? Yeah, so um, Lift for Life was really the focus of it in the beginning. And that first event raised about $13,000, which wow. as college kids, you know, we, huge. we felt um, was pretty cool. We really didn't have anything to benchmark it against. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that other guys on the team had that same experience that we did. So we registered it as a student organization, transitioned to leadership. You know, I was finishing my master's of engineering at the time, but I, was, I had played my last season that fall. Um, so we got some other guys involved to run it, and they had it a second year, raised $38,000. So uh, another wow. teammate, Dave Casso and I, one night are writing thank you letters to the donors. And um, we're talking about the fact that we've raised over $50,000 now in, in only 15 months. And uh, for this organization that's really underfunded, we come to find out that, that was, we were their largest donor at that point as, as a couple of college kids. And uh, we, we figured, you know, we'd never met anybody from this group, um, and it would be fun to go out there sometime. So Dave and I both look at our calendars. The only weekend we're both available is that weekend. 
And this is Thursday night about 9 o'clock. So if we're going to go, we need to make the decision to go. So we pick up the phone. We call out the Kidney Cancer Association and ask if they'd be in town that weekend. They said, we are. Unfortunately, it's our biggest patient conference of the year. And we'd hate for you to come out here and not get to spend any time with you because we're only a staff of four. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is, this is our big event. And uh, Dave and I felt like we might as well take the chance because we don't have this opportunity any other time. Both called our parents. They told us that they were okay with it. We went out to the airport to book a flight. Couldn't do that at 10 o'clock at night. I was yeah. <laughs> out of state college. So we ended up renting a car, going home, doing our laundry, leaving about 2 a.m. and driving to Chicago. <laughs> about an hour outside of the city, we get a call from the Kidney Cancer Association to see if we're still coming. We told them where we were. They said, great, our keynote speaker just canceled. Can you guys fill in? Oh, my gosh, that's great. Well, especially so, as, as the biggest donors, right. if you've just raised 50 grand in the last right. 15 months. Right. So you're, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we pull over to a rest stop, change our clothes, pull up to Hilton O'Hare. They valley our car and usher us right up on the stage. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, um, you know, so now we're standing in front of a room full of people that all lived in the same world that my parents lived in, that my dad specifically lived in, where the, he was told, Nothing can be done because nobody cares. Yeah. In walk two college football players, another volunteer, Carrie Konoski, who ironically is now the director of development for the Kidney Cancer Association. Um, she went with us on the trip because she had helped us uh, with that event at Penn State that year. Three of us walk in on stage in front of this room full of people that, that really feel like it's them against the world. And we tell them, you know, this is who we are. This is what we did. We drove halfway across the country last night to share our story with you because um, we care. And just, just that fact alone was enough to really inspire them with hope. We were interrupted three times in 10 minutes by a standing ovation, and that was the life-changing moment for me. Was Up until then, it really seemed like a good thing to do, the right thing to do, but leaving there after we had moved their medical advisory board to tears, I felt like this was an obligation that we had to use this platform that we've been given. That's amazing. I, I didn't know that that part of the story was going to come out. That's uh, I'm inspired now to get involved. Uh, Scott Shirley is our guest, the founder of Uplifting Athletes, uh, former Penn State football player that started this organization uh, while he was a Penn State player. And uh, so now you move forward and you make this thing a national initiative. You, I, I'm assuming you, at some point you quit your job. You were an engineering guy and you work in, you're working for corporate America, engineering uh, something, something big time, uh, important future with a big six-figure job. You quit all that to really focus on this national foundation. Tell us about when it went national. Yeah, I mean, that, that whole experience in Chicago really stayed with me. And as, as you mentioned, I graduated with two degrees in engineering from Penn State while playing football and a great institution. And I was working my dream job in D.C. Uh, and I, the, my last project there was $140 million mixed-use development. Um, really great experience for me. And it was, it was everything I'd always worked towards. But this continued to grow at Penn State, and it reached a point where we felt like kidney cancer is only one of 7,000 different rare diseases. And again, that, that sense of obligation, that calling, that we could create the same experience for other college football players around the country and use that coordinated effort to elevate the rare disease cause, but give all of them an opportunity to raise money for a rare disease that's had a direct impact on them. Because statistically, there's 7,000 different rare diseases. They all affect fewer than 200,000 Americans. But collectively, it's 30 million Americans. That's the size of the constituency that we serve. So statistically, you're talking about one out of 10. So every football team in America knows somebody with a rare disease. And they have a platform they can use to, to really change the, change the landscape, change the game for those patients. So your program, uh, you work with college football teams across the country. You have sort of a 
uh, program that they take over. Mm -hmm. They have their own student leadership. They get involved and they can pick the charity, the rare disease that yeah. they raise money for. Yeah. And there's uh, and they do it without any coaches or administrators. This is all student right. athlete run. Yep. Yeah, it operates on every campus as a student organization. Um, so it's really no different than um, you know a fraternity or the chess club or you know whatever other group um, you know you might be familiar with. It operates really the same way. We provide support to them. We take them through a strategic planning process on an annual basis. We introduce them to their peers on other campuses so they can work together. And they hold different events throughout the year. Some uh, some fundraising events, some awareness events. Um, Penn State this fall. I'm sorry, this spring uh, for Global Rare Disease Day uh, at the basketball game. They did seven. The students did seven thousand push-ups in honor of the 7,000 different rare diseases. You know, and that was, that was broadcast on the Big Ten Network. Well, Penn State was upsetting Michigan that night. Um, you know, and it really starts a conversation about rare diseases. And that's, how, that, that's really the beginning of change. That's the impetus of change is just starting the conversation. Well, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how this thing grows. In fact, I'd love to be a part of it. I'm inspired. I love college football. We work with a lot of foundations, so whatever we can do to help out. Uh, if you are a college or even a high school football coach, because I know you're going to start branching out and doing D2, D3, college and high school football teams across the country. If you're a football coach listening to this broadcast and want to learn more, email me. Uh, go to adamritzshow.com and email me, and we'll set up the digital introduction with Scott Shirley and uh, Uplifting Athletes. And your website is upliftingathletes.org. Correct. Yeah. Um, now, moving forward, what's uh, some exciting things coming up for uplifting athletes? Well, as you mentioned, I left my, my job five years ago to do this full time. We've doubled in size every year since then. So we now have player run chapters on 20 campuses, uh, including schools like Penn State, Ohio State, Nebraska, you know, up in Big Ten country. Wisconsin just came on board. We're getting down in the SEC with South Carolina. We have a bunch of ACC schools Boston College, Maryland, Clemson. Uh, down into the Big 12 country with Oklahoma and Baylor, out to Pac-12 with Arizona. So, um, you know, that, that team just continues to grow. Our Letterman's Club continues to grow as guys graduate this program and leadership positions and go out and, and really change the world in their own way uh, based on these experiences. So, you know, that aspect of it alone is really exciting. Then there's the whole rare disease side of things, the advocacy efforts, the education efforts, um, some of the meaningful relationships we've been able to develop as an organization with uh, key decision makers um, because of this, this wonderful platform of college football really making a big impact um, at a really fast rate. Uh, so we're, we're excited about that. It's, it's cool. It's uplifting athletes um, working with college football to benefit rare disease uh, across the country. Scott Shirley is our guest. He's the executive director and founder of Uplifting Athletes. You played at Penn State. Let's have some fun. Talk about uh, on the field. Tell us your, any 80-yard bomb, uh, Hail Mary to win the game. Come on. Well, you know, my freshman year, we were preseason number one on Sports Illustrated's cover uh, with LeVar Arrington, Courtney Brown, all those guys. And um, I came in as a receiver, uh, but I got put at scout team tailback because they, 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 oh, no. that defense was just chewing the guys up. So I survived that year, obviously. Um, but LeVar hit me once <laughs> so hard in the hole. It actually dented my face mask into my nose. And... Uh, <laughs> And, of course, it was because somebody missed a block, so the scout team had to run the play again. And um, the guy who missed the block the first time didn't even attempt the block the second time because he saw what happened to me. Um, but LeVar just picked me up and laughed the second time. That's, that's great. And that tells you a little bit about Penn State football, that in your, in your four years as a Penn State football player, the hardest hit you took was from a Penn State football player, LeVar Arrington. right, yep. 
All right. Well, Scott, surely we can't thank you enough for your service and, and your time on the show to be part of this broadcast. Uh, you were number 80 in yep. college, and your Twitter is at ScottShirley80. Correct. Correct. So follow him on Twitter. Go to upliftingathletes.org to learn more. Email me, uh, if, coaches, if you're listening and you want this to be part of your uh, initiatives and have your student-athletes do a student-run organization to help raise money for rare diseases and cancer across the country. We can't thank you enough, Scott, for being on the show. Thanks, Adam. The Adam Ritz Show. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. And uh, we have with us our first guest uh, here at the SCOBY Leadership School. Uh, a member of Triangle Fraternity. What is your name? Nick Keller. Nick, how are you? What's your campus you're representing? Uh, UC San Diego. All right. How's life on the beach? Uh, it's phenomenal. A lot of uh, sunshine and uh, beautiful weather. No, no uh, desire to transfer to the Midwest to a school in Indiana or I Illinois. Mean, uh, I, I've have I have the idea, but then I but then I experienced the weather, and I'm like, uh, I don't think so. And then you thought otherwise. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is actually, uh, this national convention is what I call it. You call it the SCOBY Leadership School. Can you tell us real quick, what is, uh, what is going on here? What is the SCOBY Leadership School? Uh, it just makes leaders out of everyday people. Um, it teaches you how to be a leader and, and what you can do to better the people around you, uh, just through your actions, through your morale, through your character, and through your beliefs. And uh, I understand earlier today you had uh, a community service project here in town. Uh, what were some of the activities you had going on? Um, uh, my group personally, we had to build a ramp for um, a wheelchair disabled woman, and I know uh, other groups had to build uh, assembly parts for the ramp. I know other people had to clean a library and assemble computers, so the, the groups varied. And were, would you say that you were the hardest worker there? Oh, no, my team was amazing. <laughs> my team was amazing. I was just kind of like uh, just watching for a little bit, but then I was like, oh, I'm kind of bored. I'll get involved. So I was going to ask, which no names, but which guy was like not pulling his weight? It ended up being you. Yeah, it was, it was me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm, oh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> well, listen, on behalf of the rest of the world, we appreciate all the work you guys are doing here at Triangle Fraternity uh, for yourself with your own leadership school and for other people through the community with your community service. Let's have a round of applause for Nick and yourself. I walk I'm Adam Ritz. Follow us on Twitter at Adam Ritz. With Green Day, this is um, a social awareness Green Day update. We're going to give a, a shout out and social awareness props to uh, one of the most famous pop punk bands of all time, Green Day. So Green Day is uh, teaming up with a skateboard company called Realized Dex. Realized like... Um, R-E-A-L, to be real. Let's keep it real. Eyes. I-Z-E-D. Realized Dex and Green Day are uh, hooking up to benefit a children's hospital in Oakland. Green Day, these Green Day skateboards that are uh, customized and autographed by the members of Green Day, uh, portions of those proceeds will go to benefit this children's hospital in Oakland and lead singer Billy Joe Armstrong of Green Day and Jim Thibaud, who's the co-founder of Real Skateboards. They've uh, they've been friends forever and they've always talked about doing something together. And uh, the time and the cause was just right for this. A portion of the proceeds, like we said, from these skateboards will be donated to the Children's Hospital and Research Center, Oakland. 
Children's Hospital and Research Center Oakland is the Bay Area's only independent children's hospital for over 100 years. Its mission has been to take care of every child who needs help regardless of ability to pay. So we applaud Green Day for working with uh, Realized Skateboards. You can learn more information at actionsrealized.com. And there's a video on YouTube about this initiative. We took some of the audio from this video. These are some of the um, employees of the skateboard company Realized talking about what it means to them to be uh, working with Green Day to benefit the Children's Hospital of uh, Oakland. Hi, I'm Suzanne Burks. I'm a child life specialist here at Children's Hospital and Research Center Oakland. We make this a place for everybody, and we do everything we can to help the kids who come to us. I think the collaboration between Rio and Green Day was like a long time coming. The opportunity came to do something with the release of the new record and to benefit Oakland Children's Hospital. And it was a perfect fit for everybody. When we were like outside in the parking lot, I was so nervous. I seen a lot of kids and like despite everything that they're going through, they all still were like upbeat and happy. I expected there to be a lot more negative like a hospital, but it was more like a kid's place and somewhere where you'd want to be in a position like that. Anytime you could have any kind of opportunity to help do something like that makes you feel good. Kind of makes you feel good to be able to like make these the kids and they're happy. Didn't seem like they were worried too much about their illness or anything. It was like we we were able to take a little bit of that away. They're not coherent for a second, and they pop in and they're like start talking to you and they're just like. They get a smile and it's all insane. It was rad, it was like all the kids smiling. Everyone is super happy and positive. Walking in there, you just see like so many kids there and you just know that they're getting taken care of. It's just a good deal all the way around. Helping that situation is so necessary and needed. That was really a wild experience, but I'm really happy that I got to do that. Like, it's so crazy. It goes across the board that anyone can get sick. It brings you back down to earth. Actions Realize is such a good program. It just kind of brings attention to things that um, that need it, you know. Action Realize just does that. Through skating, through skateboarding, we're able to, to do that. It's good to have something to give back. I mean, we, we ride a toy for a living, and that's the least we can do. That was audio from Susan Burks. She works at the Children's Hospital and Research Center Oakland and members of the uh, Actions Realized Skateboard Company teaming up with Green Day for a great cause. More information at actionsrealized.com. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.